everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Hausman, and welcome to Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday, a podcast to dig deeper into aspects of the Bible that get glossed over or totally ignored in most preaching. The Bible has a lot of parts that are racy, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright horrifying. Let's talk about it. Welcome to episode 26 this week. I had 25 in my notes, and I'm like, that's not right. Um, today, our guest is Pastor Elizabeth Peter Eckman, who is the Associate Pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church in Shiremanstown, Pennsylvania. Hey, hey, good to be here. And also, um, my seminary bestie. So from like day one, she took my phone, um, and it was almost like you picked me up at a bar. It really was. And it's like, put your number in my phone and took a picture of yourself and assigned it to your number. And you're just like, we're friends now. Wow, I was bold. You were. And now you can't escape me. You had you had to stay my friend for all of these years. I it's been a pleasure to stay your friend for all, all of these years. Um, and also I still enjoy that picture. That's that's on my phone. And like it's still like when you call me, it's like, oh, that's the day that we met. It's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, so you just had a lot of exciting transitions as you started your new call in Shiremanstown. If in case you're wondering, you're like, AJ, why, why are we now in episode 26 before we're getting to hear from your seminary bestie? Well, she kept telling me, no, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> she was I doing think... important things. Yeah, just fine. doing the Lord's work. Uh, my husband and I just relocated to Shireman's Town and, you know, moving in a pandemic, starting a new job, um, doing a little bit of traveling. So just kind of wanted to give this the due diligence it deserved and I was a little intimidated. So um, glad to finally be. And I was just having boundaries too. Just saying, no, it's not the right time for me. But you you wore me down in a good way. I mean, that's fine. I'm persistent. I was going to get you here no matter what. So it's uh, <laughs> just got to pick the right time, which is good. So I, re- I mean, I really appreciate this. And I think that we're going to have some good things to, to talk about today. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So today, um, for those of you who are going to go to church, um, we're going to talk about the gospel reading for Sunday, October 3rd. Um, It's Mark 10, uh, verses 2 to 16. Um, And for those of you um, who aren't going to go to church, just, um, yeah, I I mean, I hope that you can get something out of this. Like, this is... um, this is a really um, tough gospel lesson that, that we're going to wrestle with today. And I'm really excited that we're, we're getting the opportunity to wrestle with this because you're going to know it. Like as soon as I start reading, you're going to be like, oh, they're going to talk about that. <laughs> so, yes, we are. And we're going to name it. So here we go. Mark 10, 2 to 16. This is the New Revised Standard Version. Some Pharisees came and to test Jesus, they asked. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. 
And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But what Jesus said, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms. He laid his hands on them and he blessed them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Oh, praise to you, oh Christ. <laughs> Those are the ones I've said this before. Like when I read something, it's like, this is the gospel of the Lord? Question mark? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I feel like every time I read a text like this, I just ask myself, like, where is the hope in this text? Yeah. And I struggle. I do. That's, struggle. that's your good Lutheran um, training right there. That that's what we're the good news. Good news. Where is the good news in this? Because honestly, it's just uh, the world kind of sucks right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so this is a hard one. And I just want to like say up front and acknowledge like, um, you know, a lot of people struggle um, and uh, with divorce um, and maybe that there are people that um, are in marriages and, and feel like they're not allowed to leave because they would be a bad Christian if they would. Um, and so we're going to talk about those things because I don't think that that is what Jesus is endorsing here. Um, I don't think Jesus would come down on the side of abuse. I don't think Jesus would come down on the side of you living a miserable life and an unhealthy situation um, because you think that that's what's being commanded here um, to remain in a marriage like that. I don't think Jesus would be all for that. I actually think he'd be pretty upset if he knew that's how we were using this. Yeah, I think he is upset right now. <laughs> um, you know, but I think I think it's all the time, <laughs> all the time. Um <laughs> I think initially, like when a when we look at this text, though, it's really easy to just come down with the condemnation and the judgment and say, yeah, this is what the text says. Cool. Let's go with like you shouldn't be a divorced at all. Let's go and condemn other people for that. Yeah. When and I think as a preacher, it's easy to look at it and be like, what what the hell am I going to preach this week? Mm -hmm. um, I don't even want to touch this text. But I actually think that there's there is a lot of hope in this text. And Jesus does some really cool things yeah. in it. And I don't think we actually need to work that hard to make this a word of hope. Um, yeah, I agree. And so here's the thing. And so I want like, maybe if there are preachers listening to this to hear this though, too, because um, I think also when we, we hear this, uh, like maybe if you're sitting in those pews, um, you're expecting two things. One, your pastor to just not talk about it whatsoever. That thing that they're not right. going to touch with a 10 foot pole or they're going to come down hard on, on this side you know, if you're in a particular, um, particular versions of Christianity, right? Like they really, really come down hard on this. Um, you know, I, I always hate, it always ends up, it's just the easiest to bash the Roman Catholic church. Like if you get divorced and remarried, like you can't take communion anymore in the Roman Catholic church. Like that's how hard that they come down with this. Um, and so I think it's, I think that, that we get this where we get people that are, are stuck in these relationships that are unhealthy um, and oftentimes can be abusive and manipulative um, because people think this, right? And so like, because of how that this has been used specifically, 
I think how it's been appropriated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to remember quite often when we take um, some of these like old Jewish laws and things like that and, and, and what Jesus would be saying within its context to the people in which he's speaking with at this moment in time and how and, and what marriage means in this place in time is not what it means today. And so when we take it out of its context and appropriate it to people's marriage lives today, um, I really think that's when we get, we do some real damage with the Bible. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think this text is all about Jesus's intent. Like he, I think that's the first thing he does with the Pharisees is he says, hold up, let's bring it back to the original intent of Mm -hmm. God for marriage. So, um, should we jump to Genesis? There's well, a great- I wanted to say really quick, just within its um, own context within Mark, right? So um, something that's already happened in the gospel of Mark in the chapter of six was when um, uh, Herod Antipas um, divorced his wife and then just like took his brother's wife, right? And just decided, you know what? I'm going to take her now and make her my wife. Um, and John the Baptist like called him out for it, called them out for it. Um, and so they killed him, right? Like to remember that that happened, like they already killed John the Baptist for this. Um, and these particular like Jewish leaders in this place and time, um, again, because Herod Antipas was the, 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 the Jewish sort of Roman appointed ruler, right? So they would have been like right inside of his inner circle. And so they're really trying to like kind of trap Jesus and call him out in the exact same way that they managed to to get John the Baptist and kill him. So to understand that that angle that's happening there, right? Like they're trying to catch Jesus in the same thing that they managed to catch Johnny B in. Well, the Pharisees are always having it out for Jesus. Sure are. Again, so again, this is this is the author's writing, right? Like to always kind of pit them. Um, and I think this is where we really, really struggle sometimes with sort of in a Christianity um, being an anti-Semitic, really anti-Semitic kind of religion is because we, we often see in, in the gospel writings and some of the other um, New Testament epistles and stuff is that like we, we make sort of the Pharisees. So these represent, representatives of the Jewish faith um, sort of anti-God, mm-hmm. right? Um, because of, of how much they, they come at Jesus with things. But then, but that's the best part about this text right now too, is that the disciples follow up again in this matter on verse 10. Yeah. The disciples do the exact same thing. Um, and so I think, I think that's for our benefit, right? So that like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it is for our benefit because, right, like we, we are, are the disciples asking these questions. It throws it back at the reader's face. Yep. Oh, you didn't get it the first time I said this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say it to you a different way. Right. Um, like one of our favorite professors used to always call them the duh disciples. Yep. We, we hear that a lot on the podcast too. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I did not bring the OG. Oh, no. The H comment. No, it's fine. That just means that maybe I'm not lying when I make these things up on the podcast. No, AJ is not lying. <laughs> well, you can't see me, but it's a scout honor. Oh, right. Good point. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I mean, so like that. So what does Jesus do immediately when they're trying to catch him in this trap is, is they turn it back to the Torah, right? So these teachings would be, um, you know, what, what did Moses say? Right. So they're turning it back really when, when he says that and he's referring to the books of Moses, he's referring to um, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, which is um, which is the like the concrete, like the Jewish teachings of, of church tradition and church rules 
Um, it's like some people say, well, it's the law and like, that's part of it, but it's, it's a little bit more than that in Jewish faith and in Judaism. And so he's sending them back there, right? Turning it back around on them. Turning it around. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the, um, the Pharisees are like, oh, we got this. We know exactly what Moses is saying. Of course. Um, Yeah. And and I think there's something it's their permission, right? Like that's what they want. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something to that in the way that they, um, the way that they view Deuteronomy, um, that they are coming from it from a man's perspective. Mm. Uh, they, they, they say that. Tell they, me about it. Tell me what that is. Uh, yes. From the man's perspective, um, they can find something. It's all from the man's perspective. All about the man. Mm-hmm. All about the man. Um, okay, continue. Sorry, but it finds something objectionable about her, right? Um, and so I think that's important in this in this context too. That it's all from the male perspective, and it's about her. And then Jesus flips it back on them, right? Later yeah. on. Yeah. So and- the the fun thing he says here the the hard heart um, is um, sclerocardia. I'm sure I butchered the Greek there. Um, I'm so good at Greek. Um, we did great. Um, so, uh, except for pronunciation, um, this 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 word here that's used is is what it means is an unyielding frame of mind that alienates one from their reality. Mm. Which really, I mean, like, so that makes sense, right? So that's the whole thing is is like they're they're separated from their reality enough to try to find these reasons, these excuses to like set this woman aside. Um, and this particular word shows up um, in Deuteronomy is actually where it, where it comes from, where Jesus is getting it. Um, also particularly um, from the Septuagint um, is where it shows up. So um, that just means that it shows up in the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible um, and not like the original version of the Hebrew Bible um in hebrew um all that really doesn't like that's really not necessarily important in the story but all that does is tell us that like the the author of mark had access to that version of of the old of the old testament scripture when when writing this um which may be interesting for some people but maybe not for others at all anyways <laughs> no immediate you know thinking of hardness of heart i immediately am drawn to to exodus right to pharaoh um, where Pharaoh's mm, heart yes. hardened. Yes. Um, and like what you just said in this definition. Different word though, different word though. It is a different word, but like, but this alienation from the reality of what you're living in, um, yeah. right? Like Pharaoh could not see what he was doing to God's people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Pharisees cannot see how this piece of scripture, the way they are interpreting it is hurting God's people. Yes. And, and like, right, like the Bible is all about liberation and love and justice. Yeah. So I think that's why my brain automatically made that Exodus connection because that is all about oh, I mean, yeah. liberation, the right? Liberation. Yep. Just the big, justice. The, the big um, liberation. Right? Like we can always, like it always comes back down to love. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Pharisees and the disciples constantly forget about that. Yeah. So let's talk about um, marriage in Jesus's time. Um, and remember, again, um, Jesus is not Christian. Jesus is, is Jewish, part of uh, Judaism, um, and also lived, you know, 2000 years ago. Things worked a little bit differently back then. 
Um, first of all, uh, polygamy was like normal, just a normal thing that people did. Um, and to always understand, um, polygamy um, is always one man, multiple wives. Um, and so that, that also then also understands like what the dynamic of power in the relationship is, because I actually think that's what Jesus is really getting at is power dynamics. Mm. Um, because so, uh, marriage at this time, um, is nothing like marriage that we understand today, right? It is a, a transaction, um, uh, particularly an arrangement between two men, um, in which the object of the transaction is a woman. Um, given from one man to another for a certain agreed upon bride price. Um, And so the woman doesn't have agency in this. Um, She doesn't have a choice. She didn't fall in love with this man. Um, This isn't agreed on mutual love and respect and affection. Um, She is now his, right? Um, And all the things that, that kind of come with this. And so I think it's really interesting the way that, that Jesus talks about this in a couple ways, um, because what I think he's really pushing back at the Pharisees um, is understanding to like, not just throw women away and not just, you know, you want an upgrade. Great. Toss the other, that one aside and all the things that would come with it. Right. Because again, like she doesn't have that, that agency. Um, and so, you know, whatever would happen to her if she's thrown out, like she's now homeless, or maybe she'd have to go back to her father's house in shame because somehow it would be her fault. Um, Cause it always comes down to being like the, the vulnerable, the woman's woman's fault in that situation. Um, and so would probably her children would now then um, be considered, you know, bastards, right. Which was a pretty horrible thing to be at the time too. So like, I think this is the system that Jesus is really challenging here. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, women and children are are not to be seen, right? Um, they are are to to serve others. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think what Jesus challenges in this piece of scripture is is equality. Um, I think he he makes he makes the woman be seen. And he yeah. makes, lets children. Well, that's so when he goes back and talks to the disciples, right? I think that's where we really see that is because. Um, like normally, and again, when these laws of Moses um, are addressing would be like a men offering, issuing the divorce of dismissing their wives, right? Um, which I don't really understand why they would have needed to dismiss one to take a new one when you're allowed to have multiple. Yeah, well, I mean, but I think that wasn't everyone, right? Okay. More in the Greco-Roman culture to have more than one wife. Um, well, it definitely was, but it was also in, um, it was, it was in Judaism as well. Like, yeah, but I feel like the standard was still, think I, of our, think of, I'm not coming with think of some of the ancient Israel forefathers yeah. had multiple wives, right? Like right, that's, right. that's not, um, but I think not, it's like it was done one, one-on-one job, you know, commitment is what its intent was to be, um, from, from the Genesis text. But, um, but sorry, we got off, we got off topic. <laughs> Um, no, but I just like the power dynamic. Right. And so like the, when Jesus goes back and talks to his disciples and he said, listen, it would be adultery if the man did this and it would be adultery if she did this to her husband. Um, and, and that's really like the first time that we get the sense that the woman also has agency in this, like that, that wouldn't have been normal. Like that would have been like a weird thing for Jesus to say, like, what do you mean a woman can divorce her husband? Like, that's not a thing. Right. And so the fact that like, 
he's giving the woman that agency. He's also calling it out as wrong, right? Like it's wrong for you to do this too, you know, whatever if you do, but, but the whole thing is, is like, he's actually giving that, giving the woman agency in a way that like, wasn't a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause it's, it's about, it's about respect too, right? You are disrespecting um, your vows. You're disrespecting this other person when mm-hmm. you commit adultery against them. And that means the woman has the power to do that as well to the yeah. man. And, um, you know, I think a lot of this culture is, um, is an honor shame culture too. Mm-hmm. And so when you divorce someone, they are no longer whole. And especially if, you know, the woman, um, they are usually dependent on a man for, for housing, for money to be seen again as a whole person, they need to be married. Yes. And, um, and so I think, that's the other piece that Jesus is trying to address that when mm-hmm. you decide you want an upgrade, you want to upgrade to a new hotter wife, you are shaming this other person and they are no longer whole. And, mm-hmm. and people were doing that with, with disregard for who the other person was mm-hmm. that they claimed to love and care for. And like you and I, were they don't claim to love or care for them. Right, yeah. Well, they should. I mean, that, so that's the whole thing is to understand the difference in what this dynamic, what that contractual relationship meant. Like they're not claiming to love, love yeah. them. They do claim to like, take care of them. I guess, I guess that, that you can say that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that is a, a dis- century uh, intent upon the text. <laughs> well, I don't think Jesus would like disagree with you there. And then when, cause when he brings up and he quotes Genesis, I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at, right. Um, is to change the dynamic of this relationship of to say that this is an equal partnership of to say that this is built on a firm foundation of like the two becoming one flesh thing. Like it's, it's different. Um, like I, I do think that he is advocating for a different relationship than what would have been normal. Yeah, for sure. I cut you off in what you were saying to talk about that little rant hole but you know no it's all good i, I forgot really what I, was, I forgot where i was anyway yeah we're doing good we're going you're gonna um, come so down. before <laughs> maybe we'll see um so before uh we um started recording um i i had asked elizabeth like hey do you want to read the whole thing because the part with the children is like sometimes jesus like will have these hard lessons and then just like randomly talk about kids and you're like what why oh, jesus <laughs> What the hell does that have to do with anything that we were just talking about with like marriage and adultery and stuff? Um, but I, I mean, um, so Elizabeth made a good point about, about why that's there um, and Jesus acknowledging the vulnerable, right? As, as he always does. And so um, recognizing um, that that's what he's talking about and interacting with the kids again, like the author is bringing this up for a reason, right? To make that point. Yeah, and there's and I was saying to AJ earlier that the thing that I love that Jesus does in this text is he doesn't just point out a kid and say, hey, there's kids, we should love and respect them and care for them and protect them. No, Jesus picks up a kid and then blesses him. And that's yeah. big and that's radical. And and um, I said earlier about um, this, this gospel is about wholeness. Um, this is about be, becoming whole again. Um, and so... Um, when Jesus blesses the child, blesses the children, it's about proving wholeness and protection to those who are vulnerable. 
and recognizing the wholeness within those people. And, and I think that's where it kind of relates as we, we talk about, um, you know, sort of the agency the man would have to just like totally dismiss and disregard his wife, right? Is, you know, Jesus is advocating against that, like just throwing women away thing, right? And so again, recognizing and giving agency to, as we hear him do, um, this vulnerable person in this particular scenario, right? Um, it's recognizing that woman as a person, as a child of God, as an equal person to her husband in this scenario. Jesus is holding- Which is a totally radical notion, right? Well, and I'm sorry, I was going to say that Jesus is holding us accountable to a partner, to another Mm -hmm. person, that it's not just the man who can dismiss them, um, that we are accountable to each other and to God's people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, which is like what you said, super freaking radical. Um, Yeah awesome about this text um, i mean just how jesus always continues to like lift up women as like whole and equal partners in anything that for some reason still within the church we really really struggle with um and so i just it's one of those things that always gets me like listen jesus was um <laughs> I, there's, I, I don't remember where someone told me, said this first time, but like, Jesus is a feminist. And like, I, I don't remember who I was with, but someone like really freaked out about that. And like, actually, I think you're right. Jesus is totally, um, you know, totally a feminist. But saying that is apparently so almost as radical as the things that Jesus himself says. But instead of hearing this radical message of like love and equality um, and recognizing the common humanity and the other person um, and equal partnerships and things like that, what do we focus on with this text? Divorce. We, we All we hear is rules, um, which is not the good news, right? Like that's Jesus is not here to dole out rules. Jesus is here to give us the good news. Um, and so that's always for me, I, I think for, for everyone to kind of challenge, how do you read the things that Jesus says? Um, if you hear Jesus doling out rules, maybe we should go back and re-listen. We read it again, right? Um, because Jesus is doling out good news and hope um, and trying to get us to understand what the, the kingdom of God really looks like. Yes. And I think that brings us back to like the intent of what Jesus is trying to say um, with, with quoting Genesis and like, he's bringing it to God's dream. Um, So Jesus's intent. What is God's dream? God's dream is for us in this world to not be alone. Mm. I think that's what's coming across in this text Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, create that humans were created to have a partner. Um, and so where's the Genesis text? Um, well, Genesis- not just, uh, I mean, a partner, but to recognize uh, again, like also um, how, you know, in both the creation stories, um, spoiler alert for people who didn't hear it. Cause I don't think we've divulged, talked about that, but there are actually two uh, accounts of creation at the beginning of Genesis. Um, and this particularly is the second account of creation. Um, because in the first account of creation, um, God creates the, the human, which is a 
gender neutral, like non-binary human in the original um, Hebrew, we assigned a male to him at a later time, um, creates this dirt person, um, person out of the dirt, and then, and then decides, oh, well, I don't want this person that I have created to be alone. So I'm going to make all of these animals and things like that. Oh, hello, let's make more people. And so God says, I'm going to make more people in my image. Um, right. And so like, it's, it's this beautiful story of just that, of God recognizing and understanding that like, we aren't to be alone. Well, okay. So the cool thing, um, right. I'm going to make him a helper and a partner. Mm -hmm. And so God breathes into the dirt. And this is what I love. There's a word for this and it's called, it's, it's Zimzum. Um, yeah. And I get this from Rob Bell. I, I, it's called the Zimzum of love. And I use it in my marriage, um, like premarital counseling stuff. But I love it so much because the way he puts it is perfect. That which the universe was created of, God breathed into us. Yeah. And that is purely out of love. And so this Zimzum is- It's like, it's a holy substance, right? Like it's a- are holy, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why God then said, oh, it's not good that this person's alone. I want more of this lovely creation to exist. Mm -hmm. And so breathes again into this, this creature so that we can have a partner and yeah. a partner and a helper. And so that which the universe is made of, Yes. It is in us. And the, holy, I, the holy substance of God. Yes. The whole, oh, I love that. The holy substance of God is within us. And so I love this so much. And I'm getting excited about it because I love, I love love. I love love. So even though, even if you don't have a partner in this, in this world right now, right, you are not alone because you are made of what God is made of, mm -hmm. right? So even if we don't have a partner in what we think in this world, we always have God in, with, and around us. And, um, and so I wanted to talk to you about like something that, you know, I, I love weddings. I, um, I like presiding at weddings because I get to be a part of these intimate moments of someone's marriage ceremony. Um, and I know weddings can be hard for people who are alone, who have been hurt, who have been abused, um, um, who have unfortunately had to be divorced, right? Like, um, I know that weddings can be painful and, um, and I want to name that and acknowledge that. Um, and then there, but there's also this beautiful part that exists in weddings. And so um, when I was reading through this text in Mark, there was a piece in it that I was like, wait a second, this exists in our marriage ceremonies today still. And so it's at the acclamation, so towards the end of the ceremony, where we announce that the marriage is prescribed by law, um, you know, and so we say this, by the promises before God and in the presence of this assembly, so-and-so um, have joined themselves together as husband and wife, or husband and husband, or wife and wife, um, or how- I did just say spouses these days. spouses, yes. Um, those whom God has joined together, let no one separate. And in the Jewish tradition, you then take a glass and you smash the glass um, and then yell, may the bond of love be as difficult to break as it would be to put these pieces of this glass back together. Mm. And I just immediately thought of that when I read this text, because, you know, God's intent for us is, um, is to be in this union together. Um, with this, this other person that you have found. And the intent is to not be separated. But um, I, think that's, I think that's God's dream. And I think that's people's intent when they come together to get married. 
And I don't think there's anything wrong or faulty about God's dream for us in that. I also don't think that marriage is for everyone and that is okay. But I think that's why Jesus reminds us of this today because the hardness of heart that we have sometimes is why human relationships fail. That we create this destruction and this brokenness and we trade our partnerships for power. We trade our partnerships for subordination, for Mm -hmm. manipulation, for we trade empathy for egotism. And so I think that that's where it falls apart. Um, But I don't believe that what we're reading in Genesis and what Jesus is affirming here today is easy or attainable for anyone, um, for everyone, sorry, for every couple who says I do. Um, But I don't, but I don't think we should be afraid of still making that commitment to people. Um, Mm -hmm. And those of us who can't make that work, I also don't believe that that's a sin. And I want to be really clear about that as a pastor, that I do not believe that failing in a marriage is a sin. Well, also, like, I also want to challenge you in the language of failing is um, sometimes like, is it really a failure if something is not healthy and stuff to to actually say, you know what, Um, I I think maybe the the winning or like the the more healthy thing um, is to to not be married anymore. Yeah, sorry, maybe I shouldn't have used the word fail. Maybe I use the word fail because I think that's sometimes what people think. People yeah. do think that. And, that, and then it, that's, that's what you yeah. hear, right? Like, that's what I think the shame that we, we put on people in society that, that get divorced, we put that kind of shame on, on people for sure. Um, I also, like, there are other, you know, I, again, like, I, I think one thing that Jesus is really kind of lifting up more than marriage itself in this text is the idea of, like, we are all whole, created, and worthy people a part of this kingdom of God, whether or not, um, you know, it results in, in you getting married. Um, um, I do think that that is like this, the intimate relationships with, with, um, other people is a very essential part of like who we are in our, like that, that created, you know, that, that holy substance within us, like craves those, um, intimate relationships with others. And I think for some people, the right answer to that is marriage. Um, and you know, for others, maybe it's not right. Like, um, what are ways in which we continue to express and be whole people in our relationships? You know, I was telling Elizabeth, um, before we got started here, like, um, one of the interesting things about sort of the early Christian church and kind of how we have morphed in our understanding of marriage over the last 2000 years, um, like the early Christian church, like they were really big on like celibacy, um like they were so communal and like everything that jesus said about like community coming together the kingdom of god like they were so into the communal aspect of it um that they remained celibate because like marriage um these individual partnerships was sort of like detracting from like the community piece of what it meant to be a christian um and then you know, they figured out, oh shit, if the whole Christian church is celibate, we're not going to last very long. Right. And so, so they, they had to adjust their sort of like mentality and theology to go with that. Right. Cause like, oh, that really doesn't actually make any sense. Like we have to continue to, 
um, we have to continue to, to, to procreate at the very least. Right. And, um, and still like the generally accepted way is that you only procreated inside of a, a marriage union of some kind, whether, um, whether for some traditions that that was, um, a, a polygamy kind of mindset or a monogamy kind of mindset. Um, it's still like had to be some sort of marriage union, however it was. Um, and so then they're like, okay, well, we have to kind of like rethink about this a little bit because this <laughs> doesn't actually make any sense. And so then they kind of came up with um, some ideas for, for how marriages would be, be set up. And it really didn't get like totally defined until like the 800s, which was like a long time after. And even then it was still just like, another thing to understand is it was a legal ceremony, not a religious ceremony. Even what Jesus is talking about right now, this is a legal thing, not a religious thing. Again, that idea of biblical marriage and being ordained by God and, and that kind of stuff that, that comes up way later. Um, that language doesn't come up until, um, I think 1215. Sounds right. Um, something like that. Cause there were two different times that the, the church kind of redefined marriage stuff. One was in 1215 and then the other was in the 1500s with the council of Trent. Um, I did some like heavy research on this at one point in time, um, because, um, one of the things that I worked on in seminary was really talking about, um, this idea of quote unquote, um, biblical marriage, where that sort of mindset started, which was around that, that was the council of Trent in, in 1547, um, this idea of what a biblical marriage of one man, one woman ordained by God, that's in the 1500s. It doesn't become a religious ceremony until the 1200s, that's what it is. Um, but, I, but I did this research as sort of like, um, you know, when people still try to use this kind of passages against LGBT persons um, and being against um, um, marriages of persons of the same gender, right? Like that that's, or non-binary, all those things, if it's not very specifically uh, a cisgendered male and a cisgendered woman, right? Like anything outside of that, you know, people have used Bible passages like this to, to really, you know, really cause a lot of pain and damage. Um, and so it's important for, for me to kind of like share and to get out there of like, that's not the thing that Jesus is talking about. The church came up with these defined rules around marriage and things like that for economic and political reasons much, 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 much later. Yeah. One of the things we do really well as humans is limit God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Limit God. Let, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, we do. We, we, we very much try to put God in the boxes of things that like we can understand. Right. And so I think this is um, when we talk about biblical marriage um that's the thing that we're doing right like we are very much limiting god um and also i think and so like it very comes down to like we're twisting the words of jesus um and twisting the 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 author's words here and and again that intent of the liberating message of love that we get from god and so for some people i think that like marriage is a way that they experience this liberating um, liberating love of God. Um, I, it is for me, I know it is for you that both of us experience that in, um, in, in our particular unions. Um, but I, I don't think everybody does. I don't think everybody has to. And I don't think that that's what Jesus is trying to tell them that they have to do. No. Cause even though Jesus is saying, this is the intent for humans, this is God's God's dream for, for this to exist between people. Um, God does not love God's dream more than God loves us. Yeah. Um, and I think
think that's really, really cool that we mm-hmm. always have grace and we always have freedom. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about like, why do I, why do I believe in this dream that God has for us? This, this, and, and why do I believe so deeply in this, this love? And I think it's because it brings me back to this Zimzum idea that um, it's, it's in our DNA since the beginning of time, um, right? And in the text, it says, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, right? And so this, this dream, this love exists mm-hmm. within us. And that's why some, um, I think that's why we express sometimes this love that we have for another person with the union of marriage and are, and are able to do that. Um, but that, but that's also not for everyone. And that is okay because at the end of the day, God loves us no matter what. Well, and that also, um, there are other forms of relationships or other forms of intimate relationships that are also, again, a part of this, that we exist as, um, as, as relational beings. Right. Um, and, and again, so this is where the early church took it like so far that like, they thought that this idea of marriage got in the way of God's dream. Mm -hmm. They thought this idea of marriage got in the way of God's dream that they couldn't be in better relationship with one another because of this. Um, which is just kind of like funny that like of how much that has transitioned since then. Um, it makes me think of, um, I think this movie came out like 2004 or something like that. I robot with Will Smith. Oh Yeah. Yeah. And so like um, the idea is that like these these robots like had then these like um, characteristics of like humans, uh, but they were like supposed to follow these specific laws. And then they found out that like they learned and they grew and they they like interpreted whatever their rules were in a way that like they also developed relationships to the point where there's this one scene where Will Smith goes to find like the the old robots because there's the new mean robots and then there's the old nice robots. Um, And it's like, well, why, if they're just robots, wouldn't they just stand in the rows the way they were put in the, the shipping container, right? But he finds a shipping container and they're all huddled together in a corner um, that like we crave that relationship, you know, like um, if there were two people on an island, um, would they just like exist as like live in their own separate little places on the opposite side of the island? Or would we naturally kind of like gravitate together to work together, to do things together, whether you knew that person beforehand or not, right? Like, I think that that's a, um, it's just a thing. It's this innate sense of relationship that God has equipped us with, with, with this holy substance. Well said. I'm also very impressed at how you remember so many details about this movie from 2004. Oh, I, I, it's one of my favorite movies. I watched it like a lot of times, like a lot. I've never heard someone say that iRobot was one of their favorite movies. Well, I like this. Really, I, I really do like the intent of the relational uh, relational thing. I actually probably go on this whole like Bible study about iRobot uh, because like the whole thing about the three laws that these, these robots mm-hmm. are programmed with and then like how... I mean, it really then kind of like then how their like system in a logical way interprets these three laws in order to like kind of expand to, ch- to change right and how that they grow and I was like well that's clearly something we very much do with you know kind of the set of things that that we're given right um and then just uh, just the it, it there's the, the whole thing is like it's it's really focused on this like relational idea yeah. anyways if you want a good bible study go back and watch iRobot and then, um... <laughs> I'm gonna have to rewatch it <laughs> 
old movie but um anyways well uh, that's it for this week thanks so thanks so much for joining us on a, one of our you know you know harder topics that we we get to dive in on on the podcast um i really appreciate you finally saying yes to me to do this but you're welcome because it's all about relationship right and i love exactly you. Mm-hmm. um well anyways everyone look for us next tuesday on shit they don't tell you on sunday follow us on facebook.com forward slash shit they don't tell you on sunday and subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts so you can stay up to date with uh, new episodes um and you know we'll talk to you next week take care